Well, good morning, Amplified Church. I'm so glad that you're here with me today, and we're having services here at the church, but if you're not here and you're watching online, uh, then I'm really thankful that you've uh, tuned in with us, and we're praying for you, and um, we're very thankful, one, that you're continuing to track with us, but two, that you continue to give. God's been faithful. We've not had to let anybody go at this point. We continue to move forward with the vision that God has given us, and He's been so faithful, so thank you for that. On August 2nd, it will be our last service here um, at our Garner location. So if you want to come to that, we'd love for you to be here. Please go online and sign up that you're coming so that we make sure we have enough room and social distance. If you can do me a favor and come to the 9 o'clock service, that would really be helpful uh, just because the 1030 is starting to uh, be about at the point where we feel that's enough, but 9 o'clock still has uh, some room. And so if you can help me with that, that would be uh, tremendously helpful. We will go online August 9th completely, um, just to give us time to get everything uh, shifted over and get it right. And then on August 16th, we'll have an, an Amplify family service where we don't invite everybody and their brother, but us come. And, um, and so we'll let you know that, about that on the 16th. Okay. So it's going to be some great days ahead. We're really thankful for what God is doing. Even in the midst of this crazy season, uh, he's moving and people continue to come to the church and continue to uh, find Jesus. And so that's why we continue to move forward in all that we do. I want to talk to you for a second about um, perspective, and then I want to, I want to turn to First uh, Peter with you. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and grab that. Uh, but I want to talk about perspective for a moment. I want you to imagine for a second that you were born in 1900, right, that you were born in 1900. Now, I know that would uh, today make you 120, but just imagine with me that for those of people that we've known in the past, they were born in 1900. This is what they went through. I read this the other day. If you were born in 1900, uh, when you were 14, World War I started, and it ended on your 18th birthday, with 22 million people killed. Uh, later in that same year, the Spanish flu epidemic hit and the planet um, and ran till you were 20. 50 million people died from it in two years. 50 million. When you're 29, the Great Depression begins, unemployment hits 25%, the GDP drops to 27%, and that runs until you're 33, and the country nearly collapses along with the world's economy. When you're 39, if you were born in 1900, World War II starts, and you aren't even technically over the hill yet. When you're 41, the United States is fully pulled into World War II between your 39th and 45th birthday. 75 million people perish in the war, and the Holocaust kills 6 million people. At 52, the Korean War starts, and 5 million people perish. At 64, the Vietnam War begins, and it doesn't end for many years. 4 million people die in that conflict. Approaching your 62nd birthday, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. It's a tipping point for the Cold War. A life on our planet as we know it could have well ended, and great leaders prevented that from happening. As you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends, and you start to think back, oh my word, over a lifetime from someone that was born in 1900 to whenever they made it to their last day. How in the world did they survive? In 1985, I was six years old, and I didn't really think about the fact that my 85-year-old great-grandfather could understand way more than I ever imagined. I just didn't think he could understand how hard school was these days, how different the world was. And yet, when I think back of my six-year-old self and his 85-year-old self, 
and, and now my you know, grandparents and, and all those who have survived all the things above, I realize perspective becomes a great art of sorts. So we keep things in perspective these days. We're going to be smart about it. We're going to be kind to people. They wear a mask. They don't wear a mask. Fine. We're going to be kind to people. They choose to go to school. They don't choose to go to school. They choose to send their kids to school. They don't. They choose to work online. They choose to they choose to come back to church. They choose to to watch. We're going to be kind because in the history of the world, there has never been a storm that lasted forever. And eventually this too shall pass. So it seems like this season will never end. Uh, Politics have polarized everyone and their brother. Everybody just is at polar ends. Uh, Coronavirus, it seems like it will not go away. Nobody seems safe. And I would encourage you in this season as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to just reach out and encourage somebody. Maybe you get a chance to point them to Jesus with your words and hopefully your lifestyle backs that up. But maybe you reach out to a friend who um, is in a minority or, um, you know, just may need encouragement, just may need you to reach out. Maybe you reach out to a friend who is a a police officer or a firefighter or EMT or social worker. And you just ask him, how you doing? I mean, personally, how you doing? Maybe you reach out to a friend that's a teacher or an educator and you say to them, thanks for educating a generation of kids. And whether it's in the classroom or how you've had to figure it out online, you don't get paid enough, but we're thankful for you. Maybe you reach out to a family member who is older than you and you listen to them about uh, the stories and things they've been through. As I'm packing up my office to move uh, to our new location, I came across the flag that was folded ceremonially at my grandfather's funeral as a war veteran. And I'm reminded, I wish I could sit down. I wish I could go back and sit down with him and listen to the stories that he could tell or the things that he could tell and not be so concerned about me, but listen to, to the ones he, he told, but also the ones he could tell if I'd asked more questions. And then maybe you look at somebody that's older and you, you think about the fact that maybe they're not as casual in this season as you are. They don't get to just go grab a bite to eat or, or socialize outside or, or even come to church. Maybe you could just reach out and say, I'm thinking about you and I just want to hear your voice and I want you to know that uh, you've been missed. Maybe you reach out to somebody on social media who seems to be imploding. I've seen a lot of those lately. And it it seems like they're throwing out cries for help, but then it's hard to help and know where to help and what to say and what to do. And yet maybe you can point them to Christ and use the word to back up the opinions that you give them. It's almost impossible to feel the pain of someone else as much as we feel our own. But the Bible and Christianity beckon us to empathize with a broken world. We don't let a broken world tell us how to respond to them. We look to the Bible and to the word and to Christ. But we could have empathy for a world that doesn't have answers and doesn't have hope like we do. And so we point to the unbroken king, Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we have our hope. And, and hope flourishes in a life that is surrendered. In fact, uh, at First Peter chapter 2, that's where we're going today. If you want to turn with me, you can. Uh, You'll see it on the screen as well. Therefore, he says, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. In other words, get rid of all the things that the world literally lives with. Like, don't be like that as a Christian. Like, you're not going to be perfect, but start to rid those things of your life. Not tomorrow, not down the road, today. Like, figure out how to get rid of those things in your life. 
You're not going to hold little truths and, and half lies. You're not going to say one thing and do another. You're not going to look across the yard and wish you had somebody else's stuff or somebody else's spouse or somebody else's education or somebody else's salary. You're not going to talk down about people for no reason and just to make yourself feel better. He says in verse two, like a newborn baby craves spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What we know is, is that God is good. And so by that, he's saying, take in something that helps you grow up, take in the word and make it, um, make it uh, apply to your life. And literally he's saying, spiritually, you need to grow up. Now I've seen a lot of circumstances where this has been used by a speaker or a pastor against the congregation, like to say, like, grow up and quit being babies and do what I want you to do. And that's not really what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that if you can take the word in and apply it, then your, your life could literally grow into something that God desires. But it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. And it's going to take maturity on your part. Uh, my family currently, uh, you may have seen us around with a baby. We foster um, a six-month-old baby. She's been in our house since she was two days old. And we don't really talk about her a whole lot. We can't show her in pictures or really talk much about her um, just out of privacy. And there'll be a day when she can tell her own story. We don't really tell much of her story. Um, but as long as she's with us, we're going to love her as much as we can. And as long as a season she spends in our house, we're praying that she feels um, accepted and loved and hears the name Jesus over and over and over. It's pretty weird as a 40-year-old to suddenly be back into the baby years where we'd gotten rid of all the baby stuff and cribs and, and all that kind of thing. And sometimes I think to myself, like when people ask us questions or want to know or kind of stare at us because it's a little bit of an unusual situation, I just want to say nothing to see here, just 40-year-olds with a baby. But, but we've, we've kind of embraced it and we're going through the season. When I walk into the room, as a, a six-month-old, she's starting to really latch on with her, her eyes, and, and she's starting to figure out the, the dynamics of the room. She, she looks at me. She laughs. She smiles. Um, she, uh, she knows that when I walk in, I'm the guy who um, changes her diaper, will rock her to sleep, uh, will make the dog stop licking her face or eating the puffs on her little tray because I'm the foster dad. When my wife walks in, she latches on to her with her eyes and never looks away. No matter what is happening in the room, dog going crazy, a TV blaring, kids going nuts, she's locked on to Crystal as the foster mom because she knows that's the one who really takes care of me. And she's the one with the, the, the um, bottles and she's the one that feeds me during the day and she's the one that gives me the food out of the, the jars and she's the one that wakes up at night and, and comes into the room and, and comforts me and, and gives me uh, another bottle and she knows where the source of the strength is and, and even though she doesn't understand it, she's growing literally um, stronger and stronger every day. The same is spiritual. The Bible says that you should crave, literally lock eyes onto the God that made you and strive to be spiritually stronger than you were the day before. That looks like being less offended. And it looks like um, being more like the Bible says, a stranger in this world that is not our home. But it looks like what the, the author describes in, in, um, in 1 Peter, that we would live by the word effortlessly and that would be generous both with our time and our talents and also our treasures. And he goes on to say this in verse 11, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from these desires, these sinful things, which wage war against your soul. Remember what he described, malice, deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Those things wage war against you. They feel good in the moment, but they actually destroy the life that you're trying to build. So live such good lives among the pagans or people who don't understand Christ or have accepted him that they accuse you of doing wrong. They see your good deeds, though, and they glorify God on the day he visits you. In other words, don't cut off hanging out with people necessarily who don't believe like you, but live in such a way that they have to say, man, that person's different. Person's so different. I saw a sign the other day that, that really struck me. The sign on the top said, I am third. And underneath it, it had these, this little caption that said, um, God first, other second, I am third. Now, I don't know how I got to be 40 years old and have never thought about that, but it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I don't really know why. I've heard lots of slogans like live second and, and, uh, and God first, and, and, and we often say at the church that, that we look up to God, we, uh, we look out to others for unity in the body, and then we go out to serve, right? But it just hit me in the way they said it, God first, other second, I'm third. There used to be this thing going around where God was the co-pilot, that he literally got the driver's seat and you took the passenger seat. Remember when you're a kid, you play that game where when you're running out to the car, whether it's your brother and sister or, or some of your friends, you yell shotgun, right? Because somebody's driving and you can't drive. So you're like shotgun. I want the front seat. You jump the front. You throw the losers in the back, right? Well, the Bible literally says that um, the position of the Christian should be that God's the driver, that whoever else you give priority as a posture of service to take the passenger seat, shotgun, and you humbly serve from the back. I mean, if we kept that analogy, that's super hard for us because we want to be really in control and we really have a hard time getting out of the driver's seat, but we're definitely at least going to be in the passenger seat because come on, I don't want to be in the back. And yet the Bible says that you're third. If you lived out the Great Commission, you're third. A few years back when I was sitting in my office, a young man came to talk to me. I had two meetings back to back, and a young man, he was a male, and it was one more young male who was going to come into my office and had spiritually lost his way and his perspective. And he asked me this. He said, what in the, what in the world is the point of going to church? What's the point of serving? Does it even matter? So discouraged. And it wasn't long before he imploded and life imploded and he left and and in the conversation, I continue to explain to him, it mattered what, what you do, the point that you make, the purpose of your life, the way you point yourselves, the way you raise your kids, the, the things that you make important to them. And I realized that he had confused the order. It was him first, God a very distant second at best, or, or, or it, you know, and then, and then down the line, just all these priorities until church was way, way down. So then I, I would assume God kind of had gotten knocked down too. In fact, and sometimes I think that maybe he was him first, some others second, and God, if he was even in the backseat. I don't know. I don't know the order. I can't tell the heart of a human. But when you speak and the things that flow from your mouth come out, you see what someone intends. There are no words a preacher can say, because I can't change you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, and only you can surrender to his work in your life and to the truth of Jesus, and, and it's a heart issue. Right after that conversation, I had another young man come in. There, He was, um, he was moving, and it was just going to be a, um, a brief season where he was here with us, and, and he was the same age and career and, and uh, place and family, and just he talked about how much he loved God, how thankful he was for Jesus, 
He talked about the ways he had served at the church and how that had been good for him and his family, how honored he was to be able to serve Christ's church. And he prayed and he left. And the mood of that conversation was so different. It was peaceful and centered on Christ. And, and we didn't even have to agree on everything, but we knew that we loved the same Jesus and the same church and we were headed in the same direction. And again, I thought to myself, his priorities, literally, are that God is first, that others are second, and I'm going to serve from a position of third. His life really proved that. Uh, Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 4 says this, Don't live the rest of your earthly life for human desire, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans or those who don't believe in Christ do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. Verse four, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. In other words, they make fun of you. Come on, man, you holy rollers, ridiculous. You go to church every Sunday, come on out with us, come for a night, have fun, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Come, it's, you don't have to, you're just so faithful to everything that come on, it's not, she's not gonna care, it's, it, it, what's one day being missed? What's one day not going to work? On and on it goes. They, they ask you to join their reckless wild living. And then they make fun of you. And the Bible says that they will have to give account to him who will judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the Bible says, the gospel was preached to those who are now even dead. And so they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And then he says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. I just want to tell you today, I'm, I'm hoping and praying as you watch this and interact, that you would commit to live a life alert and aware. That when somebody looks back at your life, that hopefully they will say, whatever year they were born, and they, they categorize all the things you went through, wars that you had seen happen, uh, terrorist attacks on our country, um, virus that has, has just devastated so many ways, political, all the things that we know right now are happening and all the other things that will happen throughout your life. When they look at your life, I hope they say that person lived according to the will of God. And when your younger grandson or granddaughter or, or people who are younger, do you sit down and, and ask, what was your life like? I hope you can point them to Jesus Christ as the source of your spiritual growth over and over and over. And you'll live a life according to the Spirit. And you'll stand with me in the belief that as we launch into a new season of, of our church, that God is number one, that, that Jesus came and died and rose again for us. And so because of that, we let other people have the second seat as the second. They're, they're up before us, and then we will take the position of I am third to honor Christ and what he did on Calvary. God, I love you today. I thank you for those who are watching and listening. And Lord, I pray for them. I pray for these times. I pray that you'd help us to understand that the time is near and that we are to be alert and that we are to live by the will of God in the way of God and for Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, today to be like you and your son, Jesus. In your name that we pray, amen, amen. I love you. Look forward to seeing you.